NBC News presents a special report on the Russian launching of a second Earth satellite. And now to guide this report here in New York is NBC News commentator Merrill Muller. Good afternoon. A dog knocked a goat right out of the world's attention today. In a masterpiece of propaganda timing, the Soviet Union announced it had launched Sputnik number two, carrying a live dog. This is reportedly history's first space traveler. Moscow reports this morning that the dog in the new Sputnik is in satisfactory condition, and the Reds hint that she may be parachuted safely back to Earth. Space dog alive well, the Red Sputnik. The dog barking his way around the Earth every 102 minutes has won Russia new respect. A British editor asked me half-jokingly, how does it feel to be the citizen of a second-rate power? Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 11 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Sputnik 2, Laika the Space Dog. As you may recall from episode 10, the success of Sputnik 1 created a huge reaction throughout the world. However, the Soviet Union was a little slower to react. On October 5th, one day after the launch, Pravda, the Soviet news agency, only printed a few paragraphs about Sputnik. The article was placed in a right-hand column partway down on the first page. It did not even mention the satellite in its heading. Instead, it was titled, TASS Report. TASS, you may remember, is the telegraph agency of the Soviet Union. Here is an English-translated excerpt from the Pravda article. You'll probably notice that there are some grammar problems with the translation. Quote, In the course of the last years in the Soviet Union, scientific research and experimental construction work on the creation of artificial satellites of the Earth has been going on. As already reported in the press, the first launches of the satellites in the USSR were planned for implementation in accordance with the program of scientific research for the International Geophysical Year. As the result of a large dedicated effort by scientific research institutes and construction bureaus, the world's first artificial satellite of the Earth has been created. On October 4, 1957, in the USSR, the first successful satellite launch has been achieved. According to the preliminary data, the rocket launcher carried the satellite to the necessary orbital speed of about 8,000 meters per second. At the present time, the satellite is moving in an elliptical trajectory around the Earth and its flight can be observed in the rays of the eastern and western sun with the help of simple optical instruments. End quote. The article went on to give basic information such as physical dimensions and the radio frequency in which the beeps could be heard. Now that was on October 5th. The next day... When Pravda found out about the huge world reaction to Sputnik, everything changed. The very next day, Pravda's first page headline was, quote, World's first artificial satellite of Earth created in Soviet nation, end quote. In fact, almost the entire page was dedicated to Sputnik. The Pravda article gave no first-hand reports of the launch and made no mention of the scientist who made Sputnik a success. Their names were top secret, so the news agency could not even contact them. Pravda mainly printed the praise the Soviet Union had received from nations around the world, even their worst Cold War enemy, the U.S. 
In the days to come, Pravda continued to print the praises of friends and enemies, reactions from Peking, Shanghai, Warsaw, Paris, Vienna, Rome, London, and an especially long one from New York under a big headline that ran across the page. Quote, Russians won the competition, end quote. Okay, that was the reaction of the news, but I was also curious as to how the average Soviet citizen reacted. I was able to obtain some insight from a primary source that lived in a Soviet bloc country in 1957. I believe this reaction may be representative of the general populace. Here's the quote. While everyone lived under the hardship of daily life in a communist country, people needed to find something to cheer for. Regardless of the propaganda, events like Sputnik and later Gargarin's flight gave people a chance to be happy about the progress and amazed that such feats could be achieved. End quote. Now let's move on to Sputnik 2. When Khrushchev realized the propaganda value of space exploration, he decided that from this day forward, something Soviet would be in orbit every day in order to continue impressing the world with the power of communism. Here's a quote Khrushchev made to Korolev. Quote, We never thought that you would launch a Sputnik before the Americans, but you did. Now, please launch something new in space for the next anniversary of our revolution. End quote. The anniversary was only a month away. Instead of being panicked, though, Korolev was happy. His dreams that he had wanted for decades were finally coming true. Everything they needed was close at hand as well. They had an R-7 missile. They had the dog, Laika. And since the Soviets had been launching dogs on high-altitude rockets since 1951, they had the pod to carry the dog. Korolev's order to his staff was, Launch a dog by the holiday, which meant November 3rd of 1957, to honor the 40th anniversary of the Russian Revolution. Korolev told his staff and his workers that there would be no special drawings, no quality check. Everyone would have to be guided by his own conscience. The engineers would make drawings and give them directly to the workers. Sputnik 2 was known to Korolev's design staff as Prostyshi Sputnik 2, which means Simple Satellite 2. Sputnik 2 was a 4-meter-high cone-shaped capsule with a base diameter of 2 meters. It contained several compartments for radio transmitters, a telemetry system, a programming unit, a regeneration and temperature control system for the cabin, and scientific instruments. A separate sealed cabin contained the world's first space passenger, a dog named Laika. Engineering and biological data were transmitted using the telemetry system, which would transmit data to the Earth for 15 minutes of every orbit. Two spectrophotometers were on board for measuring solar radiation and cosmic rays. A television camera was mounted in the passenger compartment to observe Laika. The camera could transmit 100-line video frames at 10 frames per second, so the quality wasn't that good. The payload of Sputnik 2 weighed 508 kilograms, or 1,120 pounds. It's significant because it was six times the weight of Sputnik 1. 
The first living creature to enter orbit was a female part Samoid terrier, originally named Kudryavka, which means little curly, but she was later renamed Laika, which means barker. Laika was chosen from 10 candidates at the Soviet Air Force Institute of Aviation Medicine. She was selected because of her even temperament. She weighed about 6 kilograms, or 13 pounds, and she rode in a pressurized cabin, which allowed her enough room to lie down or stand, and of course it was a padded cabin. An air regeneration system provided oxygen. Food and water were dispensed in a gelatinized form. Laika was fitted with a harness, a bag to collect waste, and electrodes to monitor vital signs. Here's a Soviet propaganda clip of how Laika was loaded into Sputnik 2. We carried our lovely space dog down to the capsule and placed her inside. She was groomed for her voyage. We attached the instruments, bid her farewell, and turned away from the launch pad. Sputnik 2 launched on November 3, 1957, sometime between 5.30 and 7.22 a.m. Moscow time. It was launched on top of an R-7 ICBM similar to the one that launched Sputnik 1. The command to shut down engines of the rocket's core stage was issued as soon as the main engine ran out of oxidizer, which was about five minutes after liftoff. At that moment, the vehicle was flying at 7,943 meters per second, which was fast enough to put it in orbit. A secret note to the Central Committee listed a final velocity of 7,960 meters per second, or 190 meters per second faster than Sputnik 1. Sputnik 2 successfully reached an elliptical orbit of 225 by 1,671 kilometers circling the Earth every 103 minutes. After reaching orbit, the nose comb was jettisoned successfully, but the Block A core did not separate as planned. This was a big problem. It inhibited the operation of the thermal control system. Additionally, some of the thermal insulation tore loose, causing interior temperatures to reach 40 degrees Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit. During the initial two orbits, Soviet ground controllers used optical and radio equipment to track the satellite, producing less than accurate results. During the third orbit, controllers managed to improve tracking drastically with the help of data from a U.S. ground station in Perth, Australia. Reportedly, the information was intercepted by the Chinese and then transferred to the Soviets. Well, how was Laika doing? I have a recording that is supposed to be of Laika from orbit. I am not 100% certain that recording is authentic. But according to telemetry, Laika's heart was beating 260 times per minute, or three times higher than normal during her ride to orbit. The frequency of her breath also rose four to five times above normal. Laika was probably terrified by the roar of the engines and the violent shaking of the cabin on his way up. Overall, however, Laika survived the launch unscathed. During the first three orbits, telemetry had shown normal breath and heartbeat of the dog. During the third orbit, 
movements of the animal were registered coinciding with a sharp increase of temperature inside the cabin, reaching 43 degrees. The telemetry received on the second day during the 15th, 16th, and 17th orbit showed no data from the sensors measuring blood pressure, heartbeat, and breathing. Yet cardio sensors did reportedly indicate that the dog was still alive. Finally, as of 5 a.m. Moscow time on November 6th, telemetry showed no signs of a heartbeat, pressure, or movement. Laika had died, presumably from cabin overheating. Sputnik 2 was not designed to be retrievable, and Laika had always been intended to die. Reports of Laika being returned to Earth by parachute were not accurate. If Laika had not died during the flight, Russian Mission Control had planned to euthanize her with poisoned food to prevent her from burning up in the atmosphere during re-entry. Sputnik 2 sparked a debate across the globe on the mistreatment of animals and animal testing in general to advance science. Laika is now memorialized in the form of a statue and plaque at the Russian Cosmonaut Training Facility in Star City, Russia. Future space missions carrying dogs would be designed to be recoverable. The only other dogs to die in a Soviet space mission were Sayoka and Mushka, who died when Sputnik 3 accidentally disintegrated on re-entry on December 1, 1960. Six days after launch, on November 10, 1957, Sputnik 2 exhausted its batteries and ceased transmitting data. With all systems dead, the spacecraft continued circling the Earth until April 14, 1958, when it re-entered the atmosphere about 162 days and 2,570 orbits later. Scientifically speaking, Sputnik 2's instrumentation was able to detect the Earth's outer radiation belt in the far northern latitudes, but the significance of the elevated radiation was not realized. In Australia, Professor Harry Messel intercepted the signals, but the Soviets would not provide the code to decrypt them, so the Australians did not send the data to the Soviets. With the success of Sputnik 2, Khrushchev could not resist prodding the U.S. In a speech at the 40th anniversary of the revolution on November 6th, he said, quote, It appears that the name Vanguard reflected the confidence of the Americans that their satellite would be the first in the world. But it was the Soviet satellites which proved to be ahead to be in the Vanguard in orbiting our Earth. The Soviet Sputniks proclaimed the heights of the development of science and technology and of the entire economy of the Soviet Union, whose people are building a new life under the banner of Marxist-Leninism. In the U.S., the news that Sputnik 2 was six times heavier than its predecessor drove home the fact that Moscow had the big rockets and was in space to stay. Moreover, the orbiting of a dog pointed clearly to an intention to send a man into space. The satellite also added fuel to the fire of the Democrats in the Senate who were preparing to rake President Eisenhower over the coals for doing too little. The stakes now seemed to transcend ordinary politics, even ordinary issues of national defense. To Lyndon Johnson, the Senate's most powerful member, Space promised nothing short of magic power. 
Here's a quote from LBJ. Control of space means control of the world. From space, the master of infinity would have the power to control the earth's weather, to cause drought and flood, to change the tides and raise the level of the sea, to divert the Gulf Stream and change temperature climates to frigid. That is the ultimate position, the position of total control of earth that lies somewhere in outer space, end quote. Thanks for listening to this archive episode of the Space Rocket History Podcast. If you are financially able, please support the podcast by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks.